Thanksgiving traditions come in all shapes and sizes, and from many sources. Turkey is the obvious one, but it also might be your great aunt's homemade cranberry sauce, or a special version of cornbread. Stuffing. Everyone has his or her own recipe for stuffing. Do you cook it inside the bird or outside? How about Indian pudding? With Durgan Park now closed, you're probably on your own. If you want it, you'll have to make it. Other traditions have nothing to do with food. It's often a time for family or friends reunions, heading home to see what has changed and who has changed, or remain the same. High school football rivalries are often on tap. Some of those matchups go back more than a century. In the last several years, running has taken center stage. Five and 10K races have popped up everywhere, drawing, in some cases, several thousand entrants. Of course, that's not new. The Bemis Forsland Pie Run has been staged for 131 years at the Northfield Mount Hermon School. Maybe we'll talk about that someday. Out in Buffalo, New York, there's a Thanksgiving 5K that started in 1896 and advertises it's older than Boston. But in the last 20 years or so, they've proliferated. Nearly every city and town seems to host one. However, there's another tradition, albeit an often offbeat one, that actually honors a crime, believe it or not. Admittedly, just a misdemeanor, but a crime nonetheless. And it happened right here in Massachusetts, although just barely in the state. The story behind the event is about as far away as can be from Plymouth Rock, both figuratively and literally. We're talking about the tradition of digging out an old recording of a song or finding it on the radio dial. Not just any song, but a particular one that has a very definite connection to the holiday. Specifically, Thanksgiving 1965. The song, in case you haven't guessed it, concerns a restaurant where you can get anything you want, excepting Alice. The story is a bit goofy and probably mostly apocryphal, but it has its roots in fact, and like it or not, it's also history. For the uninitiated, the song, actually an 18-minute, 20-second narrative with music, is a fanciful tale, mixing a little fact with a lot of exaggeration. It tells of a true incident that took place in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, on Thanksgiving Day, 1965. Folk singer Arlo Guthrie, 18 years old at the time and son of the legendary Woody Guthrie, was visiting his friends Alice and Ray Brock. Alice owned a small restaurant in nearby Stockbridge, officially called the Backroom Rest, but more commonly known by her first name. The couple lived about six miles away in the deconsecrated Trinity Church at the corner of Van Dusenville Road and Division Street. Several of the Brock's acquaintances were there for the holiday. In the early 1970s, I was looking for some seasonal music to put on while waiting for relatives to come over. The obvious Thanksgiving music included such appropriate choices as We Gather Together or Simple Gifts. I thought it would be fun to add something a little more playful. Arlo Guthrie's ditty about his Thanksgiving fit the bill. With me, it became a tradition. To this day, I dig it out and play it 
the first thing after returning from our morning Thanksgiving race in Salem. More often now, I listen to an updated version that Guthrie recorded years later. I used to think that I was the only one doing this, but no. Turn on any of a dozen radio stations and you'll find it Thanksgiving morning. Or check out Facebook, where a YouTube version has probably been posted and reposted. It's ubiquitous. Back to that Thanksgiving of 1965. After what Guthrie described in his ballad as a Thanksgiving dinner that couldn't be beat, he and a friend, 19-year-old Richard Robbins, decided to help out the Brocks by cleaning up the mess that had been made. He filled his VW microbus with trash and headed off for the town dump. Being a holiday, the dump was closed, so they found, as he sings, another pile of garbage by the side of the road, up off Prospect Hill, not far from the center of Stockbridge. He figured one big pile of garbage was better than two little ones, so they emptied out the van. They went back to the church and had another Thanksgiving dinner that couldn't be beat. Later in the day, however, police officer William O'Bannon of Stockbridge came to the church and arrested them. Two days later, the boys pleaded guilty to littering, were fined $50 each, and ordered to clean up the trash. Now, normally, that would have been the end of the story. From there, though, the events of that day grew to epic proportions. According to the song, anyway, the boys were locked in a cell and had their belts taken away to prevent hangings. The arresting officer built an airtight case against them with all sorts of evidence, being the biggest crime of the last 50 years. Officer Obi, as they called him, came to the trial prepared. He brought 27 8x10 color glossy pictures with circles and arrows on the back of each one explaining what each one was to be used as evidence against them. He even included aerial photography of the scene of the crime. The police officer was disappointed, however, when the judge arrived in the courtroom with his seeing-eye dog and he realized the photographs would be useless. The punchline of the story comes as Guthrie, according to the song Alice's Restaurant, is later rejected for military duty when drafted because of his criminal conviction. The actual events probably don't match up with that part of the song, but what does that matter? Why let the facts interfere with a good story? The tune, officially known as Alice's Restaurant Massacre, was recorded in 1967 and became an instant hit. Two years later, a movie was made from the song. Directed by Arthur Penn of Bonnie and Clive and Little Big Man fame, it featured many of the participants of the actual events. Guthrie played himself while the role of Alice was taken on by actress Pat Quinn. The real Alice Brock, however, makes a cameo appearance as a minor character. Most interesting, perhaps, is the portrayal of Officer Obi. William O'Bannon plays himself. In real life, he was a well-respected police officer who gained a small piece of fame earlier in his career as a model for many of Norman Rockwell's caricatures of small-town life. Probably the most recognizable piece is called The Runaway, in which a small boy, complete with a stick and bandana wrapped around his worldly belongings, sits next to a police officer in a small diner. When asked by Newsweek magazine why he agreed to be in the movie, he said that making himself look like a fool was preferable to having someone else do it. Actually, Guthrie and O'Bannon became friends in the years subsequent to the incident. The real story then skips ahead to 1991. 
An older and presumably wiser Arlo Guthrie established the Guthrie Foundation and the church where Allison Ray once lived was purchased as its home. The Guthrie Center, named for Arlo's parents, Marjorie and Woody, is, according to the website, an interfaith church, a place to bring together individuals for spiritual service as well as for cultural and educational exchange. Officers at the center say, Keeping with the philosophy of Woody and Marjorie Guthrie, for whom these organizations are named, the Guthrie Center and Foundation provide a place where we work with the issues of our times, injecting ourselves into the bloodstream of humanity's best efforts toward a better world. It's also the spiritual home for the Huntington's Disease Advocacy Center, an organization dedicated to eradicating the disease that took the life of Woody Guthrie. Every May, the Guthrie Center hosts the HD Walk, covering the six-mile garbage trail, raising money to cure Huntington's disease. It touches on all the locations of the song, such as the church, the place where the trash was dumped, the former site of Alice's Restaurant, and even the Stockbridge Police Station. In November, a Thanksgiving dinner that couldn't be beat takes over the building and spills out into an adjoining tent. George Lay, the longtime director, says, we invite those who are down in their luck and need a Thanksgiving dinner. Established by a folk singer, music is always present. Weekly open mic sessions are held called Hoot Nights. Also, occasional concerts are held there. In late summer of 2021, as the center reopened after COVID shuttered the building, Arlo's old friend Rick Robbins was tapped as the first act. The events that happened or might have happened on that Thanksgiving so long ago live on today in a little spiritual center tucked into the Berkshires and on the radio at least once a year. On Thanksgiving, as you rush around setting the table before all those relatives arrive, scan down the radio dial. You might just hear how you can walk right in. It's around the back, just a half a mile from the railroad track. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Thanks for listening, and come back next time for more Tales and Tidbits of New England as we dig out another story from Alan's Archives.